Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Peinecker, and there's a few things I want to touch base before we got on our third episode of Under the Banner of Heaven After Show, which will be covering the fourth episode of the series. Uh, so for the drawing for my <clears throat> book giveaway, uh, for Jonathan Neville's books, Infinite Goodness, Moroni's America, <clears throat> Uh, the deadline for, to enter to win a, win a copy of that one of these books is May 31st. So make sure you go to mormonbookreviews at gmail.com and to give me your name and address and say that and in, the, in the subject line, say that this is for the book contest and I'll have you entered. Uh, the other thing too, folks, is the merch store is now open and I just got my uh, MBR hat. Really excited about that. We have hats, mugs. We've got uh, phone cases. Unfortunately, not for a Google Pixel, just for Apple and uh, Samsungs. And we have, uh, oh, Rebecca, we have coffee mugs too. And I, I, I noticed, have you gotten the coffee mug yet? I have not gotten your coffee mug yet. I'm going to do it today, but I am sporting my Under the Banner of Heaven coffee mug today. So is... yours is next on the list for sure. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I think I'm going to make you a permanent co-host. So maybe next year, maybe next week you uh, have that mug, okay? Maybe I need a hat and a mug and a phone case. <laughs> Sounds good. So I'm very excited today, folks, to have uh, another co-host, special guest co-host, whatever we call them. And Jim Bennett, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the program today. Oh, thrilled to be here. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think so too. Now, Jim and I don't, I know Jim better than he knows me because I watched Jim on uh, Mormon Stories. And I was also kept an eye on your mayoral campaign. And unfortunately, just, oh, just by that much. 21 votes. How many votes? Lost by 21 votes. Man, that's crazy. So, um, and actually folks, just so you know, I'm actually planning on having Jim coming back on and I'm going to do like an in-depth interview with him because I find him to be an interesting person who has a very interesting story to tell. So keep your eye out for that. Um, so Jim, the reason why I asked you to come on to the program was because you have very, very strong opinions about the Under a Banner of Heaven series. And so I'd like for you just to kind of give us an overall view of, of, of the series so far. Sure. I, you know, I'm really surprised at how strongly people have reacted because I, I just, you know, I used to write reviews for the Deseret News about, uh, you know, entertainment and pop culture and that sort of thing. Uh, my background is I, I'm a, I was a theater major at the University of Southern California. I wanted to be a world famous actor. And uh, that culminated in my performance in that classic of Mormon cinema, The Home Teachers which nobody has seen because it's not a very good movie. I've but, seen uh, it. Have you seen it? I'm the first person they go home teach and they launch a turkey out the window, uh, which sounds a whole lot funnier when I tell it than when you actually watch it. But that's a whole other story. But so anyway, you know, I, I was interested in Under the Banner of Heaven, not just from a religious perspective, but just as a, a, a I figured it was sort of a, a pop culture event that I ought to participate in. And uh, the thing that I found so frustrating about it isn't necessarily anything that has to do with religion or how the church is portrayed. Uh, but these people, it's not that they don't resemble Mormons, it's that they don't resemble human beings. Uh, the dialogue is so clunky and so awkward, and uh, so many things just defy credibility in terms of just the way human beings interact, regardless of what church they go to. That, uh, that I found that very frustrating. And, and as I posted my review, the pushback I've gotten is, you're just nervous that they've hit so close to home that they're, ch they're, they're challenging your faith in such a way that, that you can't take it. And, and, you know, 
and and I found that very surprising because, um, you know, if you see my Mormon stories interview, uh, uh, one of the things that's very important to me is I feel like the church has no choice but to confront all of the difficult and thorny issues in its past and in its present head on. And I was hopeful that under the banner of heaven would start a really good productive conversation. I was hopeful that it would make me uncomfortable and make other members of the church uncomfortable and have us address some of the difficult issues that it tries to raise. Uh, but it's not going to do that because it's a poor piece of television. Uh, because it's poorly done, it's poorly written, and Mormons can watch it and dismiss it because it, they don't recognize themselves in it. Uh, the, the thing that I've said is that I, I think that a lot of, of post-Mormons are very possessive of it because I think it's written by one of their own who is validating their decision to leave. They can look at it and say, no, that's what the church is really like. And, and you don't know that because you're still in it and you can't see it, but that's what the church is like. And I'm saying, no, that's what you now think the church is like looking back. But, it, it, but, but again, the larger problem is that it's just, it's just bad. It's just stupid. They say things that no human being would ever say. It doesn't make any sense. And so, and so that's where I'm coming from. And I'm having an awful lot of fun. You know, people are asking, well, if you hate it, why are you watching it? And I'm like, there's nothing more fun than writing nasty reviews. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm preparing the one for episode four. I haven't quite finished it, but uh, it, this one has been a lot of fun because there was a lot of really, really stupid stuff in this one. Oh, this is great. I love it. And so I want you to send me a link to your reviews so I can include them in the show notes. Um, okay. That'd be cool. And then um, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So uh, Rebecca, I just, I'm just curious. Um, what is your reaction to what uh, Jim, Jim, Jim's rant? Well, he's a better person than I am. I've actually been trying to say what Jim has said so clearly in our two episodes, but I'm more like, well, I, you know, but no, no, he's absolutely right. And, you know, my family also has a theater background. My husband was a theater major at BYU. We've run for decades a theater program. And again, also watching it um, with those kinds of things in mind, just sort of like a train wreck. Yeah. I mean, content aside, I agree with Jim completely. It's just I mean, I watch it like this, or I'm just literally laughing. So, and and I think I mentioned in my first interview with you, Steve, that you know it just doesn't really serve anyone. Uh, Mormons won't see themselves in it. Post Mormons will go, oh dear, this is not the vehicle we thought it was. Never Mormons will just basically say, I have no idea what is happening here. So, that's kind of my. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, people keep saying to me, you're not the audience for this, and I keep saying, okay, then who is the audience for this? Because because never Mormons are going to watch this thing, and, and it, I, they're not going to watch this thing. I can't see anything in this that would engage them or be interesting to them. Uh, it, it just it's it's a it's a missed opportunity, I believe. It's a missed opportunity to do something substantial. I have not read the book, but I have heard things about the book that the book is indeed substantial. Mm -hmm. And though, although people take issue with some of the conclusions, uh, it's well written. It's well presented. He ha he has a coherent thesis, uh, and that's not the case with this television show. 
you know, I, uh, and I agree actually totally that the Under the Banner of Heaven is a great book. I gave it four out of five stars in my review last season's book reviews. And, um, and it's definitely a book worth checking out. Um, I wanted to ask um, about the flashbacks. Let's talk a little bit about that. So now early on in the uh, series, um, the very first episode, the, it, the, the, the flashbacks were very confusing because they weren't giving you any context. So as we were talking about, like, who is this, this is for? Because, like, I know Mormonism. I know what they're talking about. But there's no explanation that's given about these flashbacks. Now, I would say that in the third episode, when they were doing, at least there was some context when they had the cabin surrounded, that he's telling the story of Mountain Meadows Mass, or not Metal, um, Hans Mill. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so he's, at least they're giving, it, it actually moved the plot along, at least, at least to help tell the story. Can, can we just, you guys address the use and misuse of flashbacks in this series? Uh, well, you know, the Hans Mill thing that you raise is interesting because, you know, I, I looked at it and I went, okay, the, the second episode, I was kind of excited. Or, or was it the third episode? That's the third episode with, with the, the cabin raid, which is not historical. The, the, there was no cabin raid. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I thought, okay, we're opening an episode with something that could be dramatically interesting. And then all of a sudden it all comes to a screeching halt as one of the detectives decides while they have guns pointed at them to give a historical PowerPoint to his partner about Hans Mill and, and what that does from a dramatic standpoint is drain all of the tension out of the scene because you know that these cops aren't in any danger. If they have time to give a PowerPoint presentation mid standoff, then they're not really worried about getting shot. Uh, that said, you know, the, the Hans Mill massacre uh, flashback was one of the more coherent ones because yes, it, it was given framing. I mean, there, there was a flashback, I think in the second episode where Brigham Young starts talking about the laws of Ohio. And I didn't even know if it was Brigham Young. It looked like Cotton Eye Joe uh, with some kind of fake beard or something. Uh, and, and, and I mean, so many of these flashbacks, they just, they, they come, they stop the momentum of the story. Uh, they don't have context. Uh, we get a very, very didactic flashback in episode four as Emma, you know, as Emma and Joseph confront polygamy and Joseph snarls at her. And, and, uh, and I went, well, at least people would know what's happening here, which mm. is, you know, not what happens with most of the flashbacks. Well, this is the thing is like, but if you don't know anything is you're like, you're watching the scenes like, why is he wearing a military uniform? Right, you know, right. Can I just say, though, I'm so happy they showed that. A lot of um, Mormons don't realize that he did. <laughs> he liked he liked his finery, right? But again, confusing. Who is that? I think it would take you half the flashback to figure out, oh, this is their prophet. I don't think they would realize it. And I agree, it's impossible to immerse yourself in the story because of the overplayed, clunky use of those flashbacks. And we've all seen um, cinema, movies, television shows where flashbacks are used very successfully as an integral part, seamless part of the narrative. But this is just like herky-jerky. You just can't even figure out what's going on. So I agree. Well, the main characters are so poorly developed yeah. that uh, what hope do you have to, to get any kind of humanity from these historical characters that are just sort of flashed up there to give, you know, didactic exposition that uh, doesn't sound like human speech? Uh, I mean, there's no possible way you can you can look at them, them as anything but cardboard cutouts. It's mm -hmm. just it's just it's just nonsensical. 
Do you so, feel that way about the current day characters in the book, also underdeveloped and sort of? Well, a in, the, in the show, I, have, I haven't read the book, but but in the but, but yeah, I mean in the, the show, show in the show what you see. Well, it's it, it's it's deeply frustrating to have a historical event with real people mm -hmm. uh, sort of brushed off to the sidelines because this isn't a story about Brenda Lafferty's murder. This is a story about a fictional character losing his faith. The whole point of this is that we watch uh, Andrew Garfield stand in for Dustin Lance Black's own faith crisis and watch him slowly lose his faith. Um, that's not a dramatic, a compelling dramatic. Um, that's that's not something you. That's not a visual story. No. Right? Although, yeah. did you notice that in this last episode, I think they were trying to show how gut-wrenching it was by having him almost throw up. Did you right, see that? Right. Which I'm thinking, I mean, I've never really had a shelf or a faith crisis. My story is kind of interesting, but I don't know if other members who've lost their faith, it's been actually, a, oh, I'm going to vomit. But right. regardless if those are the emotions or feelings, I thought that was, people were like, what's he doing in the corner? No one would understand that, what he was doing. Right. Well, see, I, I don't think I don't think anybody who who is familiar with the church would watch this and know that that's the story, right? right. That, that, that they wouldn't they wouldn't realize that the the tragedy here is that this detective is going to lose the faith that has tethered him through this mortal life, or whatever kind of melodrama you want to add to it. But it, what, what, it's so frustrating too is that the reason he's losing his faith is is also because. Mormons are behaving in ways that Mormons in real life don't do. Yet state presidents do not go to police stations and demand that suspects be remanded into their custody. That is not a thing. I mean, I just watched that and I went, look, there are so many things in the church that are problematic that you could address head on. Why do you have to make up fake ones and ridiculous ones? I mean, that's, well, I, that, that, that was just so absurd. And then, and then the scene after that, where he stopped on the way into church by a woman who brings yeah. up her miscarriages and says, your daughter needs to be baptized. I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, if it's happened, somebody's going to, I'm sure somebody's going to say that happened to me. It's happened once. It is not a systemic problem in the church. People right. don't behave that way. Not just Mormons. People don't behave that way. Do you feel, though, that, I mean, I agree a state president, although who knows back in the day what was happening, would not have been able to go to a police station. But do you think he was trying to represent this concept that there is some some um, influence that the church holds in situations like that? I mean, for example, I don't know, there's calling Curtin McConkie, right? I mean, if there right. are things that have to do with a legal issue, it seems like the church does, there is an involvement and there is a protection, as I'm sure most churches would have this point of view. So I was wondering if maybe that was just an overplayed scene to show there is influence as far as the church organization in matters of church and state. There you go. I mean, right, I don't know, right. Steve, do you, I mean, you have kind of an overarching view. You can probably see both points of it because I agree that was not, accurate with the state president but the concept behind it i think you know there may be there is influence an example take like the Lori daybell case where letters were sent out to church leaders saying please don't talk to anybody about this i mean things examples like that where there is perhaps some guidance on a higher level to members about the legal process just an observation 
Yeah, I, I'm so glad I'm having both of you on because obviously I, I wasn't born and raised in Utah and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider big time and I'm way outside of the bubble, but bubble I'm here in Florida, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but although the church owns about 3% of the land in Florida, by the way, right. but, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but they yeah, should do a really mini series about that. What's that? They should do a mini series about that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's it, a very fascinating story, but, um, I think that maybe that I think you're on to something there, Rebecca, regarding uh, maybe that's just their way of showing how much the church, you know. Right. I thought he influence. might be trying to show that. That's yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. So let's just talk about a little bit church and state. Now, the reason I, I, I think there's a few th interesting themes that occur in this episode. First of all, um, Rebecca, of course, you've come on and talked about your very interesting history uh, with um, anti government uh, people in your family. Oh yeah, um, and this we've, episode, we've the, Lafferty, in... the whole Lafferty thing, I kept saying, you're channeling my brother-in-law right there, who was involved in all that kind of stuff. The words that he was saying, even, was saying even more this episode. So I agree with you. Okay, so that's really interesting to me. And so let's just talk a little bit about the anti-government themes that is within uh, a lot of, now of course I'm in the evangelical world and this is not, you know, I, I've talked about it in my past too, you know, that I, I know people that Fell, got into this anti-government stuff in the 70s and 80s when my parents were really involved in um, some of this stuff as well. So I'm familiar with it. So maybe you guys could just, Jim, we haven't heard your aspect of it. So what are your thoughts about how these anti-government people are portrayed in the show? And is this, it, it appears to me that it's more of a problem now than it was even then in our current situation. The anti-government stuff rings much more true to me than the religious stuff does. I mean, I don't know if you know. So my father uh, is the late former Senator Bob Bennett, who was ousted by a whole bunch of Lafferty types in, in the Utah State Convention. Uh, and that kind of rhetoric and that kind of heated sort of overzealous, rancid mixture of religion and politics uh, is, is rampant, I think, more now than it was in the 80s when, when this is supposed to be taking place. Uh, so so there, there is definitely that sort of element in this, uh, but the, the way that they're handling it is so ham-handed that I don't think it's going to have any kind of an impact. But, but uh, the, the, the Bensonite strain of John Bircherism, Cleon Skousenism, Glenn Beckism uh, is I think one of the most toxic elements of the modern church. And, uh, and the Lafferty's very clearly were tapped into that. And, and so, you know, that kind of overheated over the, the, the one thing though, that was laughable is, I mean, this guy's running for sheriff and he's got this full parade float with a whole horse brigade and, and the angel Moroni. And I, I just ran for mayor in a, in a, in a, I, I promise you that doesn't, it's it, it, when I, 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 not everybody who doesn't run for mayor may not recognize that, but I just look at that and go, why do you have to do something so ridiculous that it throws anybody with any knowledge of any of it way out of the entire thing? Mm -hmm. uh, so, but uh, the anti-government stuff, it, it continues to be a problem. And it, and again, this is a missed opportunity to address it in any productive way. Wow, fascinating. You know, I totally forgot about your father being ousted in that convention, right? It was a uh, yeah, the, con the convention and they voted on, uh, wasn't it? Well, I think we know who replaced them. <laughs> yeah, Mike Lee replaced them. Yeah, so I, I actually have Mike Lee's nephew is one of my uh, ongoing guests. He just graduated from Harvard Law School and we're doing a series on his pride and 
Paradox book that he just wrote. I also remind my audience too that I did a early on in, in my channel, I did a three part interview with Matt Harris. So if you're interested in uh, reading about it, uh, hearing about Ezra Taft Benson and the, you know, the John Birch Society and the anti-government stuff that uh, is very much part of Mormonism in the 20th century, uh, check those interviews out. Um, Rebecca, so um, let's also now talk about fundamentalism rears its head into this episode. Now, folks, I'm planning on, I'm going to probably invite Benjamin Schaefer of Christ's Branch. He's a polygamist, previous guest of mine. I'm going to get a polygamous perspective on this series as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Rebecca, the men with beards, the, the fundamentalists. Beards, that's right. So yeah, well, we all knew it was going that direction, right? We were waiting for them to go down to Colorado City. That was it. So um, I thought they, I don't know, it was a mixed bag. They almost portrayed the polygamist um, seemed like they were way more normal than the Lafferty's, right? Does that, mean, I mean, seriously, they're just there, they're working, they're talking to him. The Lafferty's are the crazy ones, right? So I don't know, was there sympathy there in their portrayal? I'm not sure, I'm sure we'll see more and we'll see more what happens. But um, definitely when they brought up the peacemaker, both mm -hmm. my husband and I went, oh, ooh, they're gonna go there, right? I mean, that's a very, a very dicey piece of uh, literature and history that you know no one really knows what that's all about. And I also wonder, and the way that portrayed it, um, would anybody know what it's about? Again, watching the series, I don't know. They just threw it out there. Here's this book. Did did do you feel they alluded to the fact that they think Joseph wrote it? I mean, they, I think that's definitely the way they were looking at it. Which of course, that's which is up nonsense. For date. Up I, for date completely. So, but okay, you know. Well, the, the whole idea that, I mean, it was just ridiculous. The whole idea that, that real Mormon history has been removed from every library in Utah, even BYU. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, maybe it was checked out by Leonard Arrington, who was considered the greatest Mormon historian uh, that we've ever had. And he was the church historian during this time period, or right, I mean, in, until 82. Uh, but I, I mean, it's, it's just absurd. I mean, he, yeah, polygamy, polygamy, he quotes that Doctrine and Covenants section 132, which is still published by the church today. Mm. You know, that, that there's some secret knowledge. And they reach back to, okay, well, it's the peacemaker, which is this goofy pamphlet that was, uh, I mean, Joseph Smith was listed as the printer of the pamphlet, probably just sort of, but, but it was written by, I, I can't even remember what his name is, but he wasn't, he wasn't an like apostle. Oliphant or Olika, it's a, yeah. It's Uday, a something Uday. Uday. So, yeah, Uday, Odefant, yeah. Uh, I, okay, I just, I just Googled it. Adni Hey yeah, Jacob. Like, it, yeah, exactly. You know, so. but, but, I'm, but this, this, this is the explosive secret <laughs> knowledge that the Mormons, I'm like, is this the restricted section in Hogwarts? What is this? Mm. Well, again, I think they're just trying to show maybe in an overhanded, overplayed way that, you know, like what comes to mind, oh, the prophet cutting out, you know, the, the, the accounts of other accounts of the vision and putting those away safely because people aren't ready to hear that. I mean, I think it's, it's meant to show that there are situations where maybe information wasn't as forthcoming as it could have been. Do, do you feel that way, Steve? Maybe that's what they were trying to. I, I, I think that's, yeah, I think a lot, like, a lot of this is, appears to be overhanded. I think they really missed an opportunity they should have had the, the Lafferty's going to Gerald and Sandra Tanner's bookstore in downtown <laughs> Utah. That would have been awesome. That would have been it, yeah. You know. It would have been awesome because then the, that bookstore, it's like, we'd have to reckon with that. 
I, I don't have to reckon with Joseph Smith's writing the Peacemaker because Joseph Smith didn't write the Peacemaker. So, so it's like, well, see, this is your religion. No, it's not. You're not representing me correctly. Uh, so, so I can dismiss it, and and that's and that's a shame. Hmm. Yeah, right. think... they portrayed it as if he, you know, he had written it. So, and and there are a lot of people that feel that he was behind it in some ways. So I don't know if they're trying to represent that group or, you know, but again, it leaves you confused. You're not exactly sure. So there's, they don't really show it one or the other. So, hmm. Hmm. Um, so uh, I, I've, I've, I've been trying to give ratings. I keep on forgetting to do this. So the first and second episodes, I give two out of five stars. Yeah. I give, I give three out of five on the third episode. And I guess I'm going to probably give three out of five on yesterday's episode. Um, so I'm not, these are C's and D's I'm giving the series so far. <laughs> um, overall, what would, what kind of ratings would you guys give the, the episodes and the series so far? It's just bad television. I, I mean, I, I, I don't have, I, I think Andrew Garfield uh, is doing yeoman's work to make a completely wooden, lifeless character on the page into somebody that's almost a human being. I think the actor playing his partner uh, is given the best best dialogue to work with because he doesn't come with the baggage that he has to, you know, carry all of Dustin Lance's Dustin Lance Black's beefs with the church on his back. Uh, but but overall, this is this is just it, if if this were about another church, there's no way I would have, have sat through uh, more than ten minutes of the first episode. I would have turned it off. I mean, one star, no stars. I, I, I don't. All right, Rebecca, what do you give it? No, it's funny because if you remember my first interview with you about it, I said the very same thing. If I had just come across this as a series surfing, I would have watched 10 minutes and said, ah, no, this is horrible. Yeah. And, and the first two episodes, I was disappointed in the, the third episode. If you remember my interview with you last time, I said, you know what? It might be trending a little better because I felt the flashbacks we're being incorporated in a better way. Sorry, after the fourth episode, again, I have to kind of return to my original where it's like, oh dear, I was watching it again like this. You know, that's kind of my personal gauge of if I like, if it's so cringy that I can't even watch it without, you know, looking at it, I have to look between my fingers and it's, it's, uh, it's not good. But um, I'm going to continue watching, obviously, because now I've got a mug. So, you know, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things you actually talk about the partner, of course, he being a Native American, and of course they 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 give him the slur of Lamanite, you know, oh, without any context. Right, Lamanite, Lamanite, Lamanite and that statue in the house. Yeah, and then they movie. have the Indian statue. Oh yeah. right. Well, then let's talk a little bit about how they're handling race because the the, the mother um, goes on a rant about the Jews. Uh, of oh. course, she's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about how they handle that. Well, that was a dig at uh, the church's attempt to do baptisms for the dead for Holocaust victims, uh, which which didn't happen, I don't think, until later than that. And then, and then when the church was called on it, the church stopped doing it. Uh, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, when, when, when she started saying that, I went, I know exactly where this is going, and I know the entire purpose for why this is. And the purpose is to make Mormons look as culty and as awful and as terrible and as bigoted and as racist as they possibly can. Uh, because again, the central thesis of this is this is a story about a man losing his faith. 
And so you have to give reasons for why he would, and he's going to discover that his church is deeply and profoundly and irredeemably racist. And, you know, and I think you have to overplay your hand to be able to make that case. So, so I mean, I thought that was, that was the writer telling us under the surface of every member of the church, every member of the church is a racist just, and as soon as they get dementia, as soon as they lose their inhibitions, they'll show you who they really are. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, but uh, I think that's where that was coming from. Mm. Well, I have a, a personal experience with a situation like that. And, and it kind of struck a chord with me. At what you said was very interesting because um, I have two relatives that have had you know dementia toward the end and both of them have. So my grandfather, um, he believed in the end he was a polygamist. He thought his wife and his daughter were his polygamous wives as they were caring for him. And so we'd go over and he, you know, like you say, return maybe to, he was never a polygamist, but somehow in his mind, ancestors, I don't know what happened, but he definitely sounded like a complete fundamentalist and would talk about his two polygamous wives toward the end. At the very end, the only thing he would say is, please everyone put the chairs and tables away before you leave the, you know, that was the last thing left in his mind from <laughs> decades of church service. I know it was interesting. And then my husband's uh, grandma, the last thing left in her mind was the devil, the devil, the prophet has told us the devil is coming, the children and the devil. So I do think that the things that were strongly, I don't know, espoused or I, I can't quite explain it, but definitely in my experience at the end, that's why this theme kind of hit me. Um, these things, my relatives at least were saying these things, these themes, whether they were real or not from their earlier life, definitely very dramatically. So they didn't, they didn't have racial elements in my experience, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was kind of fascinating. That scene kind of struck a chord with me just because I dealt with my grandfather and his belief that it was very awkward that his daughter was his polygamous wife. So that, that would be awkward. That would be awkward. Yeah. Well, you know, from a racial standpoint, actually, uh, to some degree, and, and I think members of the church might be mad at me for saying this. But to some degree, through ignorance, perhaps, this series is actually making Mormons look almost better than they are with regard to, uh, to the attitude towards Native Americans, because they're treating Mormons as if in the 80s, they, they just looked at Native Americans and said, you have dark skin, and the Book of Mormon says that's a curse, and we're racists, and we don't like you, uh, when in fact, it was a whole lot more complicated and condescending than that. Uh, because during the 80s, you had this idea of, um, you had what they called the Lamanite, and it was called Lamanite, the Lamanite placement program, in which my family participated. I have a Navajo foster sister that we are still in touch with, but she lived with us for about three years, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, but the idea was that these, these Native Americans were going to be placed in white families in order to be able to get um, better education, other kinds of things, but also, no joke, in order for their skin to get whiter. Spencer Kimball used to go around and talk about the idea of the curse being lifted and the children in the Lamanite placement program were getting lighter skin than, you know, I mean, it's, it's deeply embarrassing uh, and wrong, uh, but, uh, but so, so I don't think that this, this fictional Native American detective would have encountered blatant racists. I think he would have encountered people with a white savior complex who, who thought, geez, if we were nice to you and bring you cookies, maybe your skin will get whiter. And I don't think that's better 
<laughs> than just saying, oh, you're, 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 you have dark skin and I don't like you. Yeah, I'm reminded, you know, uh, I actually have a book here that has some of the pictures, but I remember coming across my local library where it was a book from the 1950s uh, and Thomas Monson was the editor, um, where it had pictures of uh, people from uh, Central or Guatemala, that area, in, uh, indigenous people. And then they had made a point to show that they're also white skinned. I think they're albinos yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, uh, people and they were kind of showing like, look, look, and so this is this is ingrained in the culture for a very, very long time. I mean that, but see, that's a thing that this show should have gone after. I mean, there's a dramatic avenue that actually could 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 draw blood if you're trying to get Mormons to be uncomfortable with the the worst parts of their faith. Then aim at something that that really was bad. Instead, they let that slide and they make up the idea that. Uh, state presidents get to go and, and override police departments. Uh, it, it's a missed opportunity. Rebecca? Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying exactly. And I also had a, a best friend who had a, a foster, a Lamanite foster child in their home. And yeah, it was, she never seemed very happy, uh, displaced really. But I also think, isn't it just kind of mirror, mirroring a society at large? And as even President Holland has said, the church is always 20 years behind, right? So maybe some of those themes are more egregious, but you're right. They almost seemed kind of woke for in the eighties, as far as their treatment of uh, you know Native Americans, uh, it seemed like they were a little forward thinking on that. And you're right. They could have done a lot with that and made people think so. Yeah. But I'm sure those issues will come out even more as we go forward, I'm guessing. We'll see what they do. I wish we had preview episodes, right? That we could watch all of them and, <laughs> and be prepared. Well, Jana Reese has, has seen five of them. She's oh. written about them. Okay. Uh, and and from based on what she's written, I don't really have a lot of optimism that it's going to get a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this is this is great stuff, guys. And I really, it's really important to get different outside perspectives and everything like that. Um, before we uh, wrap this thing up, is there any other observations or thoughts that you want to give about the, the latest episode and the series as well? Start with you, Rebecca. Oh, let me see. Just, of course, that I'll continue watching, obviously. I mean, I think when we all read the book, like I said, in our book club, and we talked about it, you know, for a month, I mean, we followed it with Blood of the Prophets, immersed ourselves in Mountain Meadows. You know, we were very much delving into all of this. And so we were very excited for the series to come out. I'm not sure exactly what we expected, um, I just thought it would be more cohesive like the book. So I've been promoting it in the book club all these months. Hey, it's about to come out. Hey, we heard it's coming out next month. And, and now we're not really chatting about it on our Facebook page or group because I think we're all just like, nah, nah, nah. It's just, it's not reaching anyone. It's not doing anything. It's just not what we thought it could be. I think like Jim said, a big missed opportunity for in a lot of ways for a lot of different audiences that it could have reached. So, but I'll keep watching. We'll see. Well, no, I, I I'm with you on that. The thing that's been most interesting to me is that I, I've encountered some post Mormons that really have taken the show to heart and they see criticism of the show as a direct attack on them. As if I am saying that your experience is not authentic uh, because they say, okay, I can see myself in this. I can see the church in this. And, and my, my response to that is, if this show is uplifting to you and helpful to you and constructive for you, then go with God, or I should say go with Heavenly Father, because apparently Mormons don't ever say God. Although, just Andrew Garfield did. 
in, in, in this episode, did you notice that he's, he's sitting there and he's going through the person's home at the beginning of the episode. And he says, God, I hope they got out of here quick. And right. I like, went, a Mormon would never say that. Never say that. Especially these never. Mormons. He would say, he would have said, heavenly father, uh, you know, I hope they, <laughs> they got, say that either. That's so They awkward. wouldn't say that either. But that, that was just, I, I thought, was that a slip of the tongue? Was that a mistake? Uh, was that sort of some subtle way of saying he started to lose his faith? I think it was just sloppy you writing. You start taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Next, we'll see him with the Diet Coke. and he's well, just well, well, he already ate French fries in the first episode, well, so you know he's know on the road to hell. can't eat French fries. That's right. Just right. That, oh, that was a horrifying scene. So. But, but anyway, no, I, I mean, if this show, if you are enjoying the show, I have absolutely no problem with that. I have no problem with you. You know, that, that's great. I, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because I wanted this to be something that started a conversation, that started hard conversations, that forced the church and members of the church to confront the uglier parts of our history and our doctrine. Uh, it's not doing that. It's, it's a cartoon, it's a caricature, and it's too easily dismissed. But it is fun to write nasty reviews about it. So I'm going to keep watching. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, you know, I really appreciate both of you coming on and Rebecca, you came on at the last minute, literally 45 minutes before taping. I was like, you know what? I, I got think... out of bed on my day off to do this. I <laughs> thank you so much for doing that. And uh, I think we'll just, and you know, this is the thing too, is like the very first episode that we taped did very, very well, got a lot of views, still getting viewed. The second episode hasn't been getting as many views. And I don't, I don't think that's an indictment on us. I think that's an indictment on the amount of people that watched the first two episodes and then dropped off. And then dropped. I absolutely yeah. agree with you. I think people are like, eh, no, not for me. Yeah. And, but I kind of, and I even thought about maybe just not continuing with it after the second one, the drop off. But then I thought, you know, it, I think it's important. nobody else, I don't think really is doing an after show. And I thought, well, let's just do an after show of all the episodes so we can, so people who, will be watching this series in the future or binge watching it, they can go and watch these episodes and maybe, and I hope this will help inform the audience. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of evangelicals that watch my channel and uh, this is a great opportunity to kind of uh, maybe hear what you guys have to say. I think it's really important to get the, your perspective on this whole thing. Before I let you guys go, was there anything, any final words you'd want to share with the audience? I just appreciate the opportunity to come and rant. Uh, it's always fun. And it's very nice to meet you and very nice to have this conversation with you. Awesome. Rebecca? This is great. I'm going to have to start following your reviews. I didn't realize, you know, that there were some like-minded reviews out there. I, I think yeah. we're kind of on the same page. So I'm going to have to start start following those. I think it's great. Yeah. When I saw, when I saw, read your review last week, I got to get this guy in the show because he's, uh, he, he's not afraid to say what's on his mind, which I think is, was great. So folks, I just want to thank uh, my audience for uh, sitting here through this episode, and uh, I appreciate your feedback. Why don't you leave some comments in the, uh, in, in the on this episode? I'd like to hear your perspective on it as well. How many stars do you give the series so far? I'd like to hear. I also want to remind you to make sure you like and subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification button for when a new episode comes out. We are now on all the major uh, podcast platforms. About a quarter of my audience now is listening to us in the podcast format. Uh, MormonBookReviews.com is our merch store. So if you want mugs and stuff and hats, we got that. Um, also, if you want to support the channel on PayPal, as well as Patreon, I want to thank all of those who are supporting ch the channel financially. And uh, again, I just want to thank you for both of you coming on the program. I want to thank my audience for sitting through and hopefully this has been beneficial to you and you all have yourself a awesome day.